host, Annie Randall, and this is a safe space for real talk regarding all things Jesus, mental health, and of course, your relationship with food. For the last episode of this season, we have with us a past client of mine, Brittany Duke. Brittany and I started working together way back in, I think it was 2018, and we worked together on and off for two or so years. It's probably been about two years since we've last worked together now, but Brittany has occasionally sent me updates since then. I'm honestly very thankful for Brittany, as I've always considered her to be one of my top supporters. She's been following Triad Warriors since the beginning, and Triad Warriors would honestly not be what it is today without Brittany's continued support and participation. That said, I'm very excited to have Brittany on today's episode. Brittany is an Enneagram 9, and she's one of the kindest people that I know. Brittany has a big heart, and she's always willing to put others before herself. She is a dog mom and a proud aunt. Brittany has overcome a lot in her lifetime, and she's the type of person who seems to never give up. As we've done for the past eight episodes, we will be talking about some of these triumphs today, particularly when it comes to Brittany's relationship with food. But before we get started, Brittany, is there anything you would like to say to the listeners? I think you summed that up pretty well. Thank you. You're welcome. Of course. I just appreciate you so much, and I'm very happy to have you on the show today. Me too. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get started then. As I mentioned, Brittany is an Enneagram type nine. Enneagram nines are known by a multitude of names, including the peacemaker and the mediator. Enneagram nines are also described as receptive, agreeable, and complacent in their behaviors. The core desire of a nine is to maintain inner stability or a peace of mind. And the core fear is of conflict and or separation. With that said, I'd like to give you a chance to describe your experiences with living in this world as a type nine, Brittany. So we won't get into the relationship with food peace quite yet, but how would you describe your experiences as a type nine? Um, so as a child, I really struggled with like anxiety and mm-hmm. communicating. Yeah. So I had like lots of out- outrage Mm, yeah without knowing like what it was or anything Mm -hmm. I've been in therapy I've learned some tools Mm -hmm. and it's gotten to where like if I feel tension in the room Mm. I'll just kind of like either ease myself out of the room Mm -hmm. if I don't need to be there or I avoid um what's the word um bringing up a topic that could like cause there to be more uneasiness in the room. Yeah. So being around an uneasiness or conflict, it makes you really uncomfortable. Yes. Very. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you've also put in work in not going to that outrage automatic response, but instead sitting back and just watching things happen. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think that has impacted your relationships, not with food, but with people? Um, I've become more understanding of mm-hmm. like their point of view. Mm-hmm. And um, even if I don't agree with them, I don't like 
um, try to convince some of mine, like yeah. of what I feel. Mm-hmm. Like I'm more open-minded to what they are saying. Yeah. And I think that has pretty much helped me. Yeah, definitely. You are a really great listener. I mean, that's one of the really great qualities of type nines is being able to be open, like you said, and listen to other people's opinions. Obviously, that sometimes might get you in trouble when your opinion needs to be spoken out. But I think one of the really great things about type nines and why they're called peacemakers is you guys have the ability to see all sides of the story and really bring peace to a situation that has conflict. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously you put in a lot of hard work when it comes to your relationship with food in particular. And honestly, I am very impressed with how far you have come, especially since we started working together way back in 2018. And I always appreciate those updates that you still share with me. With that said, how would you have described your relationship with food maybe five years ago before we had started working together? And then in what ways do the characteristics of your personality influence your relationship with food um so like about five years ago I'd say like I turned to food for comfort Mm -hmm. and it wasn't just like oh let's have a bowl of ice cream no it was more like let's have the entire container yeah yeah and like so like I was using food to help me cope with my emotions to feel that peace yeah and food would would it always be the best, like, it's not the best way to go about finding mm-hmm. that peace and settling that uneasiness. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to learn some tools to, like, help me get out of that. Yeah, yeah. And what was the second part of the question? Uh, how your personality has impacted your relationship with food. Okay, I would, um, yeah, I'd use it for like that emotional mm-hmm. comfort support when it really didn't really help in the long run. Yeah, yeah. So when you felt internal conflict or maybe there was even external conflict going on, that caused a lot of uneasiness, discomfort, stress, and food was that source of comfort, that source of peace that it would yeah. bring you, which biologically that makes sense as we've talked about so many times about the feel good emotions that food releases and food is emotional. It, it can really help you feel better in that moment, but as you've learned, it's not a long-term solution it's like in that moment you feel better but there's better tools that you could be using in order to help bring comfort in those times of distress exactly yeah yeah and we'll get into those tools specifically of what has helped you in your relationship with food a little bit later in the call but yeah I mean it's very challenging when food is seen as this um, source of comfort that maybe then also causes you distress. Can you explain that a little bit too, of how you felt about yourself using food as comfort? Um, ashamed in a way. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to hide it from other people. Yeah. Like it was a secret I would keep. Yeah. And like, I wanted to think people like didn't judge me as I was like hiding and eating or yeah. hiding and binging. Yeah. And I was always like, I was scared to eat in front of other people, like just a normal meal. 
Yeah. Yeah. That would be so hard. That makes a lot of sense, especially if you're already feeling shame in your eating, then to eat in front of someone else, that shame carries through, even if it is a normal meal. Um, but so many people struggle with that shame in their relationship with food because I mean, we'll talk about this a little later, but culture is always telling us that we're eating too much or that we need to ignore our bodies and not trust our body signals. And so it's very easy when food becomes that source of comfort or whatever it is to feel that shame when you have all of these pressures and mixed messages coming from outside. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Can you think of a time in your life when you felt disconnected from your own wants and needs regarding food? And if yes, please explain what that looked like for you. Disconnected. I'd probably say like when I'm in the binge, I'm not paying attention to like what the flavors are that I'm tasting, Mm. the texture of it, Mm -hmm. or I'm just not being aware. Yeah. I'm more consumed with the gotta stuff it down. Yeah. Stuff feelings and just eat and eat and eat. Yeah. It's kind of an out of body experience when you're in that mindset where, like you said, you're not experiencing the flavors or the textures or really anything else about food. It's just you get in this out of body experience where all you can do is eat in that space. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've talked about it a lot about the biological reasons that that happens with neuropeptide Y. And I think that's something that's really helpful for other people to understand how when we, because oftentimes restricting is the cause of binge eating, right? It usually results, whether it's a mental restriction or a physical restriction, but in the case of physical restriction, when we restrict ourselves from carbohydrates for a long period of time, it triggers our body to produce something called neuropeptide Y, which is going to suppress your fullness signals and is what is going to also increase your cravings for carbs and fats and those really highly satiable foods. And that's what contributes to that out-of-body experience but most people don't know that that's what's happening that there is like an actual chemical explanation for that and then that kind of plays into the shame and the the disappointment that's experienced as a result yes yeah yeah do you have anything else to add to that question Brittany hi don't not at the moment. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. So something that not type nines typically struggle with, um, is having, or more so expressing their preferences. Brittany, you always, you already just talked about having experienced a disconnect from your body's wants and needs, particularly in that time of a binge. So I'm curious, have you ever eaten something simply because you wanted to fit in with the group or not cause conflict? And can you explain that experience? Let's see. Um, I've like, I've never like brought my own meal to a place to like eat in front of Mm -hmm. others Mm -hmm. or, um, or else like if I knew there'd be food, but I didn't want to like get too much food Mm -hmm. I'd eat before I go to that Mm. event. Yeah. And then that way I feel like I'm having, having like less or more normal Mm. portion sizes of like that treat or whatever it is yeah unless it's like salad then I'll just eat more salad but (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. So you're very aware when you go to a social event of what other people might think about you in that space when in regards to food. Yeah. How does that impact you personally when you go to the event and being able to be present or engaging with other people? To be present, um, it actually helps to not like try to like hide what I'm eating because I'm Mm. more present with them. Mm -hmm. And it's, I feel more accepted when Mm. I'm present with them and I don't feel like they're looking at my plate and judging me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when you're experiencing the moment, you're able to enjoy the moment a lot better than rather when you're focused on the food, then you're not able to fully experience the moment or enjoy the friendship or whatever's happening in that event. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How much of your eating would you say is related to stress, anxiety, or other emotions? Do you tend to have trouble with eating when you're hungry or when you're not hungry? What does that look like for you? Sometimes as of recent, like, like more recent, not, not like yesterday or anything, but, um, (laughs) I have, um, Sorry, what's the question? <laughs> uh, how much of your eating is related to stress, anxiety, or other oh, okay. emotions? Yeah. <laughs> now it's more like, okay, let's not like use this emotion to like comfort mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. with the food. Yeah. I try to do something that makes me more present. Yeah. Using like my five senses mm. or, um, calling someone to talk to them that can help support Mm -hmm. me with my emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, playing with my dog or just cuddling with my dog also helps. Yeah. You've been able to find other tools so that eating is not always the response in times of distress or anxiety or those emotions. You have people that you can talk to. You have your dog, um, which your dog is adorable. And you, yeah, you have other tools such as grounding exercises with your senses and all of those things so that emotions aren't the driving force of your eating now. Right. That's so good. And I know you put a lot of hard work in to get to that place. And so that's something that you should be really proud of yourself for. Thank you. I am. Yeah, of course. Uh, So specifically talking about comfort eating, whether it is um, now or something in the past, maybe like five years ago, what specific foods would usually be involved when you ate for comfort or maybe control and how much of a role did those things have in your eating patterns? Sweets are a big mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Or, or carbs. Let's go with white carbs and sweets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, I could easily binge on a like white loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. Like eat that entire loaf. Mm, yeah. Or, um, I'd make cookie dough and eat all that cookie dough. And then mm-hmm. afterwards, I feel so sick. Yeah. And I'm like, what did I just do? This was not smart. You need to find a better way to cope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of physical, like, discomfort that happened after those periods of eating for comfort. It was something that you initially did to bring you comfort, but it brought you discomfort because you felt sick or had a stomach ache or all of those things. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And like we've talked about already, you've found tools um, already to help you not turn to that, which is so great. Yeah. Which I'm very thankful for. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. It's not fun to feel sick or to feel like you've eaten too so much and too much or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 Um, I know that there have been many complexities in your relationship with food. And in that survey you had filled out a little bit earlier, you talked about uh, influences of others in your relationship with food, whether that be choosing foods that others are eating simply because you don't want to cause the conflict or following unhelpful groups on social media. With that in mind, can you describe the ways in which either family members, the media, and or diet culture have impacted your relationship with food? Um, so there's one time, like, as maybe seven years old, mm-hmm. or, like, between five and seven years old, mm-hmm. and I was playing on the piano in the basement, mm-hmm. and I was pretending, like, I was, like, pointing as on a plane on the bench mm-hmm. and I point it over and I'm like oh there's a shadow right there of my finger and so I moved my hand back I'm like that shadow didn't move what is that mm-hmm. it ended up being a mouse oh my and gosh so I started screaming and freaking out yeah and came down and he's like what what's going on what's going on I'm like there's a mouse and me being as terrified as I am of those. My dad had to carry me upstairs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, what my dad did, like, after I, like, freaked out, he's like, let's have some ice cream. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that's where I started to learn, like, food can comfort you. Yeah. Yeah. You were and terrified so- in that moment and the ice cream became, became the solution to that the fear or the stress that was caused. Right. And I know my dad didn't like, like, think like that mm-hmm. would like be the consequence of that. Yeah. But like, that's where it went in my head. Yeah. And then as a teenager, my mom would say, Brittany, you need to watch what you're eating. You're going to get fat. Mm. And it really would upset me. Like I'd leave the house crying and I'd go to my friend's house just crying. And my friend would be like, it's okay. You're okay. Mm-hmm. And she would just comfort me. But, um, and then, um, as I got older, I try to find like quick fix, quick fixes mm-hmm. to like, um, lose weight. Mm-hmm. And, um, like just as diet culture here, like, the master cleanse Mm -hmm. or um I've struggled with major disordered eating in the past Mm -hmm. of eating disorder Mm -hmm. um I would try this scene called like the rainbow diet where you eat like really selective meals like this color of food that day this color of food the next day and then fast one day of the week okay or I'd try where I only drink water and Diet Coke. Mm. Or I don't know, but. Yeah, all sorts of different things. I mean, going back to what you said about hearing the message in middle school, that's a really young age. And that's an age where so many kids, our, our bodies are changing. Like we're going through puberty. And to hear the message from a parent, someone who you really trust, and yeah. for them to say, oh, you know, you need to 
stop eating as much because you're going to get fat. You internalize the message that, oh, fat must be bad and eating is going to cause me to be bad. And so then it makes sense that you turn to these quick fixes because diet culture is everywhere. There's all of these empty promises that if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to lose weight and it's going to, it's going to solve all your problems in life. And when you have internalized that message from a very young age, it's very easy to get trapped into that cycle. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of cut you off. Did you have more that you wanted to add to that? Not that I can think of. I think yeah. I was done. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Diet culture really does impact so many people's relationships with food. And it's just really interesting to see how the rise of diet culture really correlates with the increasing rates of eating disorders and just how all of these diets, like you were talking about the master cleanse or the rainbow diet, or even some of these less extreme ones, um, like weight watchers or all of those things really impacts and harms are the way that we experience food and experience our bodies. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so as we already discussed, you've done a lot of work in your relationship with food over the past few years. And I know that relationship is still in progress, progress as it honestly is for us all. We are all a work in progress and you never really reach a place of arrival in, in anything in life, but I'm truly so proud of of you and how far that you have come in your relationship with food. So how would you describe your relationship with food today? And what were the tools, mindset shifts and or behavior changes that have helped you to get here? I, so in the past, I would like pretty much cut out an entire food group or Mm -hmm. I would be like, like, I wouldn't, I still have a hard time keeping it in my house, Mm -hmm. but like when I'm noticing I'm having that craving, mm-hmm. I'll go to like the grocery store or the um, um, gas station mm-hmm. and like pick up like one of those things I'm craving and buy it and then enjoy it. Mm, yeah. Until I feel like I'm ready to keep it in my apartment. But mm-hmm. like, so I'm not saying like, oh, this is a craving I'm having. I can't have it. Yeah. Like I'll go out and I'll treat myself to that craving. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so huge. And that really helps because when we're suppressing our cravings, you end up eating like five different things before trying to get over the craving. What there's all those charts that say, like, if you're craving chocolate, eat almonds or whatever it is. And so we try those things and it doesn't satisfy our craving. So then, yeah. So we eat five other things. And then we end up eating the food that we were trying not to eat in the first place. And we feel shameful about it. And so then that's what leads to the binge. So the fact that you're now able to say, Hey, this is what I'm craving. I'm going to allow myself to eat. It is huge. That's awesome. Also. Um, so I was like trying to like, um, choose healthier options, like make my own, like, like frozen yogurt type thing instead mm-hmm. of going and getting um, ice cream because mm-hmm. I'm wanting ice cream. So let's try something else that could possibly fix it. And that craving for ice cream wouldn't go away. Mm, yeah. And it just would stay. And it's like, Hey, I'm here. I want this. I want this. Come on, mm-hmm. treat me to it. 
Mm-hmm. And so I learned for me personally, I can't substitute something yeah. in place of the craving. I have to go treat myself to like mm-hmm. maybe that one slice of brownie or that bowl of ice cream mm-hmm. instead of finding a different way. Yeah. And then that craving goes away and you're able to move on with your day and it's not in the back of your head for hours and hours on end. Right. Yeah. That's, that is a huge step and really changes a lot. And I know that it has in our work together changed a lot in your relationship with food just by being able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Uh, What other tools or mindset shifts have helped you in your relationship with food? Um, like learning to like get in, is it endorphins? I think yeah, it's endorphins like through natural ways other than food. Like mm. I do have a slip disc and my back hurts. Yeah, yeah. But if it's not in a flare up, I love to go for walks and like mm-hmm. feel better that way. Yeah. Yeah. Getting that movement in really helps with so many things, our physical health, obviously, but our mental health and our emotional health as well. Having that movement is huge. And it's so unfortunate that you have that slip disc, which I know can be really frustrating to sometimes not be able to do the things that you want to do, but having those walks as a way to give you those feel good chemicals, feel good emotions is so important. Yeah. 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 And I've noticed like sometimes if I'm like, I'm like working out, mm-hmm. I'll feel like that surge of endorphins, like come on. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You can like feel the moment where it's like, yes, this feels great. <laughs> yeah. I love that. What other types of movements do you like to do, Brittany? Um, I like, there's this person online that's called the fitness marshal okay and those dances that people can follow along and dance and move their body to Mm -hmm. and I love like doing that that's awesome like I'll stream YouTube on my TV and like Mm -hmm. those dances and I find that really fun that's awesome and I know you love dance so much because you were a dancer growing up and so being able to go back to your roots essentially and do the thing that you love, that's so fun that you can do that from the comfort of your own home, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun because you like does like current music instead mm-hmm. of like so it's like, oh, I like this song. Let's let's go even harder with this. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that's awesome. I love that. Cool. Is there any other tools that have helped you? Anything else you want to add to that question? I think that's good. Awesome. Well, that's all of our questions for the interview. Is there anything else you want to add in general? Um, just listen to like, listen to what your body is saying. Like if you like mm-hmm. want that bowl of ice cream, go and enjoy it mm-hmm. and don't find a substitute for that ice cream. Mm-hmm. Unless you have like a disease like diabetes or mm-hmm. something and you can't do that, like, but there's medical reasons. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely intolerances, allergies, all those sorts of things. But that's such a great piece of advice. Ultimately, it comes down to, like you said, listen to your body. So many of us are disconnected from our bodies and 
ignoring our bodies, whether intentionally or whether because we've been ignoring our bodies for so many years that that's kind of the automatic way we go. But yeah. being able to reconnect with your body and listen to your body, that is a great piece of advice for everyone. It is. I agree. Awesome. Well, Brittany, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. I do have one quick short question though. And this is one that I'm asking every one of my interviewees, just because I think it will be fun to see the answers. Um, but my last question is what is your favorite food? My favorite food? Um, I would have to say funeral potatoes. Funeral potatoes. They're like cheesy potatoes with cornflakes on top. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah. Why have they called funeral potatoes? Because you serve them at funerals. Oh, okay. <laughs> they do. <laughs> okay, in Utah. Yeah. That's awesome. That sounds really good, though. I feel like I've had something similar to that maybe on, like, Thanksgiving. Obviously, different occasion than funeral. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's delicious. Cool. Well, again, thank you so much, Brittany. And thank you to everyone for listening. We will, this is the last episode of this season. So we will catch you on the next season.